Matthew chapter 5, I want to read through those Beatitudes again, those blessing statements at the beginning of, of that chapter. So we've kind of worked work through them this spring. So it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we look at those verses and we think about that word for blessed at the beginning of those phrases, if you haven't been with us through this Beatitudes study, that word blessed at the beginning of each of those phrases, it's the word for living the good life, a life that is fruitful, a life that is flourishing. But in almost every case, it doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective how that could be the good life. <laughs> how could Jesus call this a flourishing, fruitful life? But in every case, he says, no, no, if you'll follow this path, it will lead to a life that it was beyond anything the world could ever promise you. And so you get down to number, what is Beatitude number 8, but verse 10 in your Bible. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the good life belongs to, the flourishing, fruitful life belongs to those who are persecuted. Persecuted because of righteousness. So on your note, a little half sheet note uh, page there, under Roman number one, what does it mean persecuted for righteousness? In the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness is Jesus' mission that he's called his people on and also his ethic, his way of living. So it's on mission with Jesus, living the life that he's called us to. And live not in private. That's the key in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's true about us in private, but it doesn't stay private. It's shown in how we live. Engagement with the world around us. And so in all of these cases, we've tried to ask ourselves, what's the opposite? This is a really good Bible study tip. If you're trying to get at the meaning of something, you ask yourself, hey, what would the opposite of that look like? And sometimes it helps you better understand what's going on there. So what's the opposite of this? Well, the opposite of this is someone who is a coward. Uh, someone who is trying to conform to the world, to blend in, so you're not persecuted for righteousness, you don't stand out, you blend in, and, and you take no risk. Because if you do stand out for Jesus, Jesus is saying, you're going to be persecuted because of righteousness. What is persecution? Point C there. It's pressure. Now this is the Open Doors USA definition of, of persecution. It's pressure against a Christian in their private, family, community, or church life, especially when violence, suffering, loss, or slander are experienced. 
So I know that's kind of a full definition, but that's what they're trying to get at here. What, do, what are we talking about when we're talking about persecution? It's pressure or opposition put against someone in all kinds of fears of, spheres of life. Um, and it usually involves some sort of violence or suffering, loss of job, loss of family, slander, that type of thing. I think about when Fashid has been with us. Um, he was going to try to be here tonight, but he's not. Fashid is the a uh, gentleman that our church is helping to sponsor who's reaching out to Farsi-speaking uh, people in South Oklahoma City, Norman, Edmond area. He came from Iran, became a follower of Jesus while in a prison in, in Iran. And so his stories of what it looks like to face opposition, and he has this incredible Facebook ministry where he's able to lead people to faith in Christ, and they're baptized. He conducts their baptism through Facebook uh, as they're in these hotel rooms or hidden away in someone's house in, in a bathtub and because they know that when that persecution comes, it's not just being made fun of you know, at, at work. It's losing your family, losing your job, potentially losing your life. It's that type of opposition that, that they're facing. And so how do we respond to persecution in our world? Well, number one, under point D there, we don't want to confuse Western persecution, and, and so we're not going to downplay this, hear me out on this, but we don't want to confuse Western persecution, what we might face of, with the depth of opposition and suffering around the world. Now, do we face opposition and suffering? Yes, it does come in different forms. The degree, the depth of it looks different in, in our context than it does around the world, and so we want to be careful of, of making sure we realize the, the difference there. Um, we don't want to downplay, though, the reality of increasing opposition to Christianity in, in the West. The key question we have to come back to, though, is when we are persecuted, is it for Jesus? Is it because of following his mission and his way of life? Um, being persecuted because you're a jerk is not the beatitude. <laughs> um, so if you're a jerk to somebody and you're persecuted, you can't say, oh, what was me? I've been per no. You were just a jerk to that person. Um, being persecuted, and this is what we have to watch out for, particularly in, in our context. And, and I say this carefully because what I'm saying is important, but it's not the persecution we're talking about. Being persecuted because your particular political beliefs um, or economic theory or things like that is being opposed that is not the persecution we're talking about in the Beatitudes for following the righteousness of Jesus. Now, are there all kinds of cultural issues we're facing in our country? Absolutely. And there are people that are going to be on one side of that spectrum or the other. But, but my opposition because my preferred political position is not winning out is not the same as the persecution that we're talking about in reference to the righteousness of Jesus. We want to see our country go in a good direction. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just not the same as the persecution being spoken about here in, in Scripture. We get a good view of this when we go to 1 Peter in, in the New Testament. So go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. When you think about suffering and you think about persecution in the New Testament, Stephen's story in the book of Acts certainly comes to mind. But the book that does the most with this concept is 1 Peter. So if you ever find yourself thinking about suffering or persecution or anyone ever ask you about this, the book in the New Testament that is the most related to this topic is 1 Peter. Um, that's where we get our, um, our, our best example. Because 1 Peter is an audience that 
is facing oppression, opposition from the, uh, from the Roman Empire. Let's look at a couple of different places. Um, let's start in chapter 2, verse 18. So a social relationship that is very prone to persecution in this servants and masters thing. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? For if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, this is chapter 2 verse 21, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to those who, who judge uh, justly, or to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin, and here's the Matthew language, live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Christ provides the example of how we go through this suffering, how we go through this opposition. Now go down to chapter 3. Go chapter 3, verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer, here's our Matthew language again, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, there in verse 14, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Some translations will say, set apart Christ. Is anybody reading King James? Um, what, what's verse 15 do at the beginning there? I forget in King James. Sanctify, yeah. So set apart, set as holy, uh, sanctify Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So you see the idea. We suffer for doing good. We're following the way of Christ. And then you get to verse 18, and it goes back to his example. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Then you jump over to chapter 4, verse 12. This book is so full of this, uh, this theme. So now we're in chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. 
But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay, one more place. One more place. Over in chapter 5, verse 6. We're continuing this theme that just runs all throughout 1 Peter about persecution and suffering. So chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. And here's the key phrase in verse 9. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers, brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So powerful verses there in First Peter about what it means to face this persecution, to face this suffering that comes when we, we take this stand, uh, we take this stand for Christ. It's interesting when you read those videos, and a, Nick Ripkin said that persecuted believers um, around the world don't want our pity. And if I'm not careful in my little American way, you know, like, oh, I feel so sorry for them. That's the last thing uh, that persecuted believers are looking for. They want us to pray, and then most dramatically, they're saying, hey, we're sharing our faith, you share yours. Like, the greatest thing we could do in response to this beatitude, in response to watching these videos, the greatest thing we can do is to share our faith, to share the hope that we have in Christ. Will opposition, persecution come? Yeah, in different forms. It likely will. You're going to face that. But if our hope is in Christ, if we entrusted our souls to him, that's where our confidence lies. That's where our stability lies. Our, our goal in life is not to be liked by others. And that's hard because many of us, like at our core, we're, we're people pleasers. Um, and, and we don't want other people to not like us. And yet they're saying, hey, we... We're standing firm, like we're seeking to, to hold on to Christ and share with others. You do the same. That's the greatest thing you could do in reflection to, to this example that we're following. Finally, there on, the, um, on chapter 5, verse 11, back in Matthew, looking at that beatitude number 9, um, he, Jesus transitions and puts the focus on his followers. He's, he's going to use the you word, Y-O-U. Blessed are you, this is Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when others insult, persecute, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. In other words, people will not always speak well of us. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be, but what do you do? Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to show you one other passage before we wrap up. Look over in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 
We have the audio Bible option. That's awesome. Okay, so this is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy is written while Paul is in prison and wait, awaiting his own death, um, knowing that that's come. And so he's writing this kind of last statement, this last testament that he's going to send out. So he's reflecting on his suffering. He's reflecting on the reality of death for following Christ. So you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. That's a list. <laughs> then verse 11. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's one of those verses that always sticks with us to think about, okay, if I'm trying to avoid opposition, <laughs> avoid persecution, in many ways that's a path that leads me away from living the life that God's called me to live. But if I'm living for Christ, seeking to make him known, inevitably it's going to lead to persecution and opposition. And so don't be surprised. You're not the first one to face this. That's the first Peter language. Others have gone through this. And believers all around the world are going through it. So what do you do? You pray for one another and you share the gospel. You remember, we're not the only ones going through this. There are brothers and sisters going through this. We're in this together. And so we are sharing the same message. That's the incredible thing about this whole thing. The same resurrected Jesus being proclaimed in those psalms and those videos and around the world is the same resurrected Jesus who we look to. Not a different message for different parts of the world. The same Lord, the same Savior shared by us all. Here's what we're going to do to wrap up tonight. Super uncomfortable, but it's the end, so you can walk out either way. Um, <laughs> all right, take out that big piece of paper that you got. Two goals here. Two goals. Number one, that you might meet somebody who you don't already know, all right? Um, gives you a chance to meet somebody you might not already know. Number two, that you're able to pray for and encourage one another. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to get up, and you're going to find persons, the people that have the matching number that you do at the top of. There's either going to be three or potentially four people in your group, okay? Three or potentially four people. One person in that group, if you've got a bunch of introverts, this is going to be fun. But uh, one person in that group, after you introduce yourselves, one person is going to pray for the country mentioned on that piece of paper and pray for the people in the group that we would have courage as well to share the gospel. So you're going to find the number, meet the people. One person in that group is going to pray for the country and pray that you would have courage. If you have four people in the group and nobody likes to pray aloud, just do a little quiet prayer um, and say amen together, and that would be good. So you're dismissed after you find your number and pray with someone. Um, yeah, go for it. Thanks for being here tonight. Find your number, pray together. It'll take a while. That's part of the effort here.